We're Jill and Jenna, sisters who believe that gut health is the baseline required to live your best life. But health is way more than that. So we've made it our mission to take a deep dive into gut health, mental health, fitness, nutrition, and more. Interviewing experts, having real conversations, all while making sure all of the information is digestible. Welcome Welcome to to our our gut talk. This episode is sponsored by Zbiotics. I don't know about you all, but I was a big party girl in college. I was in a sorority at Virginia Tech, and we literally drank all the time. Four years since graduating college, I literally cannot hang anymore. Let's face it, after a night out with drinks, I don't bounce back the next day like I used to. I have to make a choice. I can either have a great night or a great next day. But here, we're entering in Zbiotics. It's a pre-alcohol probiotic, and it's the world's first genetically engineered probiotic. It was invented by PhD scientists to tackle rough mornings after drinking. Here's how it works. When you drink, alcohol gets converted into a toxic byproduct in the gut. It's this byproduct, not dehydration, that's to blame for your rough next day. Zbiotics produces an enzyme to break this byproduct down. It's designed to work like your liver, but in your gut where you need it most. This is what Jill and I do. We use Zbiotics as our first drink of the night. And you're hearing it here first. It is a game changer for us the next morning. Honestly, it helps me so much mentally. So I'm more focused on the drinks and having fun versus not feeling good. So savor the moment. Let Zbiotics do the rest. Go to zbiotics.com slash GTG to get 15% off your first order when you use GTG at checkout. Zbiotics is backed with a 100% money back guarantee. So if you are unsatisfied for any reason, they'll refund your money. No questions asked. Remember, head to zbiotics.com slash DTG and use the code GTG at checkout for 15% off. Thank you, Zbiotics, for sponsoring this episode. We got a good episode today. I know. I'm so excited. You are like a super fan. I am because I'm a super fan when someone has figured out how to nail health, but make it simple and actually say like, no, these are the facts. This is what people need to be doing to getting healthier. And these are the steps to take. And that's what Kate does. I think this is one of our more digestible episodes Mm -hmm. when interviewing an expert, because a lot of times, like you said, the nitty gritty details become overwhelming and confusing. But I think that our guest today does an excellent job of keeping it simple and really making it understandable for the basic listener and basic just meaning like you don't want a PhD in a science background. Yeah. So today's episode, we have on Kate Deering. She's the author of How to Heal Your Metabolism and has been working with clients helping to heal their metabolisms for over 25 years. So we dive into different topics with her, including why focusing on your metabolic health is so important, which has honestly been the theme of our last few episodes but also her thoughts on fasting, which is super interesting, why we should only be peeing five to six times a day, and like just wait till you hear all about this part, the benefits of sugar, which you're probably surprised to hear, why dairy is a superfood, and so much more. One thing about our conversation with Kate Deering that I thought was really cool is we really dive into what your metabolism actually is, how it works, and how to make sure that it's performing properly. I think we all have a massive misconception when it comes to your metabolism. And it goes back to just hearing your mom talk about slowing her metabolism down as she gets older. So we really dive into that. We also talk about debunking some myths that I think are just 
conventionally thought to be unhealthy. We love debunking myths. Yeah, and and quite frankly, it's really refreshing to hear her talk about things and this world has become so scary to eat like literally anything uh-huh. because someone is always saying it's bad and I think she'll give you quite a bit of peace of mind when it comes to the things that it are really okay to eat. Yeah, and we kick off with like how do you even know if your metabolism is where it needs to be and I made a post about this that really got a lot of buzz on both Instagram and TikTok and a lot of people had questions. So we are answering those questions in this episode today. We're really excited for this episode. Enjoy Kate Deering. Jenna definitely did, and so did I. Yeah, please welcome Kate Deering on Gut Talk. And I think that, you know, the first thing when I hear the word metabolism, and the cool part about being untrained or whatever you want to call it, is science is overwhelming to me. It always has been. But I want to be healthy. And I think that resonates with a lot of people is I don't want to listen to a bunch of scientists get into the nitty gritty. I just want you to tell me what I need to know in order to like be a healthy human, right? And I think especially growing up, the classic thing you hear from the moms is, oh, you guys have this great metabolism. Just wait till it slows down. Mm -hmm. And so from a very young age, you learn that kids have fast metabolisms and then they slow down as you get older. Can we talk about that? Like what, what truth is there to that? And and like, do we have to have slow metabolisms as as we age? Like, help us chat about that. Yeah, so it's a good question. And I think you need a lot of context to kind of ex- explain maybe what's happening, right? So on some level, we can understand as we age, one thing happens is that some people lose muscle mass, right? And muscle mass is a big part of the equation. The more muscle mass you have, the more calories you're going to burn. It's obviously more energy expensive. So I think that's part of it. I think what happens more so as you age is you start running on a different set of hormones and you start utilizing different resources to run your body. As a child, you are, as we refer to, a really good sugar burner. Um, That's the majority of what you're utilizing and you're using it for so many different reasons. You're growing, you're running around a lot, you're doing a lot of things. So there's a high consumption of carbohydrates that, that that young body is utilizing. And that is more optimal because when we are young, we also heal faster, we sleep deeper, we look younger, our skin is younger. So there is a lot of things that go along with youth. And as we age, those things start to deteriorate a little bit. And that's gonna certainly come as your cells and everything gets a little bit older. But also what happens is this amazing thing called stress. And we get more inundated into the stress cycle. And so when you talk about metabolism, I always like to refer to it as two different things, meaning you can either have a healthy metabolism, which is uh, run by thyroid hormone and utilizing energy optimally. And then you can have a stress metabolism where you're still burning a lot of calories per se, but you're doing it in a way that's just stressing the crap out of your system. So you're more running on things like cortisol and adrenaline and the body is trying to keep up with the demands on your body some way, somehow, but it usually starts to utilize other resources to do so. And that starts to create some adaptations in your system where your body doesn't utilize the energy properly anymore, meaning there's some break in the system. And so just to kind of give people some understanding of what kind of metabolism is, it's, it's your body's ability to turn your food into energy that your body can use to do everything it's doing. And that includes running the systems of your body, but it also includes thinking and working and exercising, right? All of that requires energy. 
your body doesn't run on thin air. And so if you want it to run optimally, you have to give it fuel. But again, as we learn through life, we start doing things, right? We either stress our systems or we go on a diet or we do things that kind of inhibit that process. And again, not saying that you can't do those things, but over time, the repeated measures and all those things become an additional stress, start creating adaptations in the system where they actually don't turn that food into energy effectively any longer. And so there's some inhibitory process that could go along, but also because you probably put your body under so much stress or given it so many diets or over-exercise it or whatever you've done to it, the body learns to kind of shut down some of the systems, meaning you're, because you're trying to exercise so much, maybe your digestive system isn't going to work as well, or your hormone system isn't working well, or other body, because your body always has to try to create some level of homeostasis. And so if you're taking, taking, taking from meaning the excessive amount of exercise you're doing, then you're not leaving enough for your body to run. So you start to see this degrade of body systems come down and, and things don't work as, as uh, properly. That was a lot. Yeah. No, that's <laughs> yeah. super helpful. Cause I mean, I, I think that probably in high school, I still thought your metabolism was a, was like your kidneys or your liver. Like I thought it was like a, something you could actually locate well, in like your, spinning, in your right? body. Right. Well, because that's kind of the way it's talked about. You always think metabolism in it's made out to be this really simple thing. People who have good metabolisms, I say that in air quotes, are skinny and people who have air quotes, bad metabolisms are not right. Like that's the way it's talked about. I think, in just general knowledge. And so it's really helpful to understand how much stress plays a part in your metabolism. But if you're looking to focus on your metabolic health, what else does that affect besides just your weight? Everything. It affects your, like your metabolism is a sum of every metabolic process that goes on in your body. So it's how much body energy your body is utilizing to breathe, to digest food, to detoxify, to create hormones, to maintain muscle mass, all of that thing, all of those things create or need energy. And so if you start eating or consuming less energy, well, then we can assume that maybe some of those functions aren't going to work optimally. So it goes back and forth. And we've seen that in like severe, uh, you know, there's a very famous study by Ansel Keys called the starvation study. An experiment and where he took a series of individuals and he basically gave them half the calories and to see what essentially would, would happen. And basically what he found is all metabolic processes started to just deteriorate. And so liver function decreases. And we have to all, one important thing that you should note is your organs and your brain use a considerable amount of energy and they're energy hogs. So when you start giving your system less, we will start seeing that those those bodily organs don't function as well. You can ask anybody that probably starts going on a diet or, or takes a lot of carbohydrates out of their diet. Initially, they start maybe having some brain fog. They don't feel like they think as clearly because your brain is a huge carbohydrate consumer. So the body will always start compensating. The, the interesting thing about your body is it will eventually start utilizing other resources. It can start using fat as energy or your own muscle tissue. But it's never optimal long term. And those, by doing that, again, create some adaptations in your system that you don't necessarily want to have at least long term. Earlier, I mentioned to you that I created this post that was basically stating signs of a, a working, functioning, good metabolism, right? And 
I'd like to hear it in your words first because I've created this post, but I'll give you the feedback after. What are signs and symptoms that you have a robust, well-working metabolism? Uh, first, you'll have like a warm body, right? Because one of the things that when you have, when you turn your food into energy, one of the things that happens is you produce heat. So a well-working metabolism will produce a lot of heat. So you'll have optimal body temperature midday around 98.6. Um, you don't, most people don't wake up with that, but you'll wake up with a body temperature around 97.8, 98 degrees. Um, women will be different at certain, certain times of their cycle, but for the most part, that's more optimal. You'll have heart rate between about 75 and 90 beats per minute. Um, it's not 50. Um, you are really fit if you have a 50 heart rate, but that's not normally optimal for metabolic rate. Um, you'll also have good digestion. You will have, you know, you'll go to the bathroom once or th uh, three times a day. Your stool will be solid. Um, you will have good hormonal function, free of PMS symptoms. You'll have good detoxification. You'll be able to main mu uh, maintain muscle mass without an extreme amount of exercise. Also maintain weight without an extreme amount of exercise. Um, good mood, good energy all day. All of that will go along with an optimal metabolism, meaning you'll be low symptoms <laughs> and you'll feel good. Mm -hmm. And that means that your body is optimizing the food that you're taking in and utilizing it to run your body, right? And so everything, again, in your body requires energy, right? Your liver function does not run on nothing. It requires an immense amount of fuel. So does your brain, so do your kidneys, so does your heart. Everything does require energy. And so, again, we have to understand if we take all this energy off and we let our body just try to eat itself, which it will, it does that to survive. But again, it adapts. And what it does adaptive, it starts lowering metabolic function. And so your, your total metabolism will start lowering when you do something like that. All of those. And the one other thing that I know you've mentioned all the time is the amount of times people pee right? Like we posted this and we had responses to have people saying that they pee 20 times a day, right? 15 types a day. But you're, you say what, four to six, four to five. Is that the sweet spot? Or a level of peeing through the day should be about five or six times a day. Five or six. Yeah. Okay. And what was interesting is the feedback of this post was people maybe checked one box. My intention was to not freak everyone out, but I think I freaked people out because all of a sudden people are like, I have a cold nose. I have cold hands. I'm going to the bathroom way more times. I'm not going poop, if you will, one to three times a day. My mood isn't great, things like that. So I think they hear this information and then they don't know what to do with it, right? This topic of conversation is today is focusing on your metabolic health, right? But one of the things that I think we've talked about a lot, and I think that's a very mainstream topic, is fasting, and I'd love to hear your thoughts about fasting because I'm a former intermittent faster, all because I saw it on the internet that that would help me lose weight. Can we go more into fasting and your thoughts? Yeah. And I'm, I'll just back up a little bit because I know you, you kind yeah. of mentioned this about the people that urinate 20 times a day. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. Please. Yeah. And a lot of that is, is because they've been told that they need to like drink their body weight in water a day or drink a gallon mm -hmm. of water a day. And you're going to pee a lot if you do that. Right. And they think that they're mm -hmm. like detoxifying themselves by just peeing everything out constantly. And all you're essentially doing is putting a lot of stress and strain on your kidneys and your bladder, because what you're usually doing is just peeing out a ton of water and some of your own minerals but if you're just drinking water, you have to know that there's nowhere in your body that's just water. It's always solvent and solvent. There's always water and minerals together. And so if you just ingest tons and tons of water, we have to assume that you're also going to start peeing out a ton of your minerals. So 
what ends up happening is these people start getting thirsty all the time because they're actually what they need is more minerals. They don't need more essentially water. And once happen, what, what I find is when I actually start getting people to drink less water and then more things with having minerals, whether they have more fruit or juice or milk or something, their thirst, A, goes down. A and B, they're not peeing 50 times a day. But they feel a lot better because now their body's in better balance. And because now they're getting the thing that they're actually their body really needs is the minerals and doesn't just a ton, a ton, a ton of water, right? Yes, you are 60 to 70% water. But you also have to understand you're getting water and all the food that you're consuming. Your body actually does produce water through metabolic rate. So a lot of these things are actually happening. And again, if you're drinking a ton of water and just pissing it all out, what good are you really doing for yourself, right? So, right. so just to kind of put that caveat out there. And so, okay, now back to the question one more time. Remind me. Yeah, first of all, though, the water is a really good point. Jill and I have found a, a common theme with fitness influencers, right? They drink a gallon of water a day. So you want to look at and feel like them. Well, bring your gallon with you. Bring it to the gym. Bring it everywhere you go. And your answer is absolutely not. Find your intake of electrolytes, minerals in a better way from uh, especially your food, right? Yeah. And I don't want to scare people away from water because people hear this and they're like, sure. oh, I should never drink water now. And I'm like, no, that's <laughs> not true either. And everybody is a little mm -hmm. bit different. And if you are really fit and you have a good metabolism and you're out probably outside a lot more and you're sweating, then you are going to need more water, right? And so there sure. is that. But if you, if right. you actually have a metabolism that isn't functioning properly, then just overwatering yourself isn't going to help you. In fact, it can actually harm you. So there is kind of figuring out what is working for you. And if you find that you have a lot of these symptoms of like a low, metabol low metabolism, then just consuming copious amounts of water is usually not the right answer for you. It's that combination, right. of, combination of the water plus minerals. A sign to know that is pee should be yellow, not clear. Yes, correct? and not yellow-brown, right? So it should look yellow. Right. Yeah, if your pee is clear all the time, then that you're, you're drinking way too much water. Okay, you all know by now that we are absolutely obsessed with this sponsor, Element Electrolytes. We all need electrolytes in our lives. And I'm talking when you're drinking water, you're not getting electrolytes from just plain water, sufficient amounts, right? So you have to supplement with that. You can supplement with Element Packets, fruit, milk. You'll learn about that on this episode today. But Element is all of the stuff you need and nothing you don't. That means a lot of salt with no sugar. Element is a science-backed electrolyte ratio of 1,000 milligrams of sodium, 200 milligrams of potassium, and 60 milligrams of magnesium with none of the junk. No sugar, no coloring, no artificial ingredients, no gluten, no fillers, no BS. Electrolyte deficiencies look like headaches, cramps, fatigue, weakness. I've told you all before, I used to get these painful leg cramps, especially during my sleep. I don't get them anymore because I focus on my electrolyte intake. So Element is honestly the best. We are absolutely obsessed with them. And it's about to be summertime. So we all need to ensure that we are properly hydrating. And that is water plus electrolytes. So to ensure you are properly hydrated this summer, go to drinkelement.com slash guttalkgirls. That's drinkelement.com slash guttalkgirls. We're also linking it in the show notes to get a free sampler pack to try all of the flavors. And you can also buy flavors as well. 
Jill and I love watermelon, raspberry. They just came out with a grapefruit that is amazing as well. Citrus is incredible too. Go check them out. We love Element. So fasting, would love to hear your thoughts as a former intermittent faster for, again, nothing to back up why I was doing that. <laughs> right. It's the best kind, isn't it? It's like, I saw it on TikTok, right. and so now I do it. And honestly, that's where people are getting their information from. This is the, the yeah, that's right. where everyone, oh, that person looks like I should do that, and he's doing it, and they're throwing out a bunch of facts of, you know, that saying things like autophagy and hormesis and all these things. And that, that sounds good. Let's do fasting. And again, right. it's fasting. Again, your body fasts every night when you sleep. That's a fast, right? You're not eating. And so you have some autophagy during that period of time, right? We have basically cell renewal at that point in time. Your body's cleaning its systems out. You actually don't need, need to go into a fast to go into autophagy. Your body's constantly doing it. So that entire argument to me, yes, you will go into an additional amount of autophagy. And just so that is like your, your, your cells cleanup systems. So people think, oh, I'll put myself into more cleanup and that will be better, right? It's always like, if this a little bit is good, then I'll do excess amount and that's better. And that's not necessarily true, right? To me, that's like saying, I'm going to go mess up my room so I can just clean it up now, right? And that doesn't really make mm-hmm. any sense. So... Mm-hmm. So, and the same thing with fasting, right? You're going long periods of time without eating. Well, your body has about enough carbohydrate stores in your liver to regulate your liver for a good eight or nine hours. After that, then it has to start going into other resources. And when it does that, that means it's going to have to go into some level of a stress response. And so you're going to have to start driving cortisol and adrenaline to keep your body going. Now, when you're young, Cortisol and adrenaline, even when you're a little bit older, they feel pretty good, right? I mean, we all been on like an adrenaline high. We go on a run, we get all these adrenaline high. It all kind of feels good. And in your 20s and 30s, I think you can get a lot, get kind of by doing all that kind of stuff and really not having any sort of negative side effects. But as you get older, that isn't necessarily going to be good, putting yourself in kind of a stressed position even more than you already are. Because what is everybody this day, in today's world? They're all overly stressed. They're all having symptoms. If your people that are following you are all saying, yeah, I have all of these symptoms, well, then probably putting more stress on your system by not eating for 24 whatever how many hours is not going to be ideal for you because it's going to also have an adaptive process and you're going to push somebody back into a stress cycle again, which you don't want to do, right? Healing doesn't happen in a body that's under chronic stress. So... Mm-hmm. There's all these other theories about fasting, and one of the things that fasting does do is it removes everything out of your digestive system, right? You're not eating anything. So if somebody has an underfunctioning GI or one that is irritated all the time, removing all the irritants probably is going to feel better. And so for them, they're going to be like, oh, my God, I feel so much better. I, you know, I actually feel like I have more energy. I actually feel like, you know, they might have all these positive effects, But then the question is, is it like the fasting or is it just we removed all gut irritants out of a really dysfunctional GI system and the moment you eat again, everything is going to come back again. Mm -hmm. So we got to always understand when you're getting a positive effect from something, what is really happening and can you get that positive effect without actually putting your body under this stress of not eating for 24 hours. And again, if you're doing it for religious reasons or for whatever reasons and your body is healthy then go for it and and do what you want to do, right? Not everybody can, it it fits in the same box here. But for most individuals that are trying to improve health and who have a lot of symptoms, it's usually, in my opinion, not a good thing to do unless you're sleeping and then fast away. Right. 
Yeah, that's interesting because our platform is primarily based off of gut health, right? So we have a lot of people who are following us and listening and looking for tips on how to improve their digestion. And a lot of people, the feedback we get is, I feel so much better when I do not eat. Totally. And that obviously totally makes sense right there. But what you're saying is we need to find a way that you can eat and the foods that you should be eating in order to improve that instead of being like, okay, I'm just going to completely fast, which of course there's going to be varying opinions. People do recommend fasting to make sure everything clears out. But I like what you say about finding what works and the right foods to be putting in your body to help move your digestive process along. Yeah. And, and, and we can go back to just your GI system works best in this parasympathetic state, right? It doesn't work mm-hmm. in a sympathetic state. In fact, in your stress state, it shuts down digestion. So if you're like listening something that could be stressful to your body, like fasting, well, yes, you're not eating, so you're not getting any of the irritants or so forth, but you're actually putting that GI system under stress because nowhere in your body runs on nothing, right? So there's no fuel coming in. How is that digestive system operating? Now you say I'm giving it a rest because I'm not eating and you essentially are. But bottom line is you've got to eventually eat, and now your GI system is just elicited some sort of stress response because you didn't eat for a long periods of time. So when you finally do, unless you're just you know eating, with some people can be like liquid calories, which can actually feel better to them. You know, eventually though, you you have to fix the GI system. Re- removing the irritant kind of fixes it, but it's not fixing it. Right? It's just kind of band-aiding it. We're just kind of removing the thing that's creating it, but eventually, again, you can't not eat the rest of your life. What do you do if, whether it's because you were trying to lose weight or maybe your gut issues were bad and so you started not eating as much and over time you became severely, whether it's like undernourished or just like chronic under eating and, that, and it's been that way for quite a bit of time. I'm assuming you can't just go and start eating a normal amount of calories again. What What's that process look like? I know we actually had someone reach out to us last week who said, I don't even get hungry anymore. Like, I'm just never hungry. What do I do? So some guidance there would be great. Yeah, and, and that could, I mean, it depend, I mean, if they have a severe eating disorder, there's certain recommendations from that. But some sure. of them actually prescribe them to actually eat a considerable amount of food immediately. And, and that okay. might be in the form of smoothies, right? Because all those foods are a lot easier on your system, right? So yeah. if they have milk smoothies or ice cream smoothies are almost high caloric base. And that's what, the, if you went to an eating disorder clinic, that's what they're going to give you. Sure. And I want to say, I want to make sure like this is not for, I think people who have eating disorders, I think that it's really important that you get really specific help to you. But what about the people that went on some fad diet and were eating, you know, there's crazy things out there, but what they don't realize is by following this stuff, maybe they're only consuming 900 calories a day and they're just not eating enough food. They realize it, they recognize that they have a lot of the symptoms yeah. we've been talking about. Then what do you do? Yeah. So it's the same kind of manner, right? So usually what happens is, is when you start eating, you're, you're putting your body under stress. Your body starts to learn to eat itself. You're going to start to learn that you, you'll lose weight. But again, you're running on the stress hormones. So normally what happens over time is elevated stress hormones always will kill your appetite, right? So we know that because if you are actually running from a lion, the last thing your body cares about is digesting food. So no appetite. You're not going to be hungry. All the energy is needing to run and your heart rate and, and your lungs and so forth and so on. So 
you will not usually have a appetite in a stressed position. And that's works well if you're trying to run from a lion because you know you don't want to worry about digesting food but eventually you you get out of that space and you then your body recovers and then you get appetite back and so forth the problem comes when you're in chronic stress right which where you're under consuming all the time and now your body's adapted to that it's in this kind of stress place your appetite will die so people that don't have appetites are usually in some level of chronic stress their system is feeling stress and that might be a first sign. Then they're going to start having signs like I don't sleep well, or they're going to have hair falling out, or they lose their period, or numerous things are going to happen because again, everything runs on energy. You underconsume, things start to not work. And so for them it can be like, well, maybe you need to slowly start introducing food, small calories, many meals through the day. you might have to almost force feed yourself in the morning because that's usually the time they have no appetite, they don't want to eat, maybe around noon they eat a little bit something and then maybe at dinner they like I finally can eat something. But ultimately they've kind of taught themselves to not use a lot of calories. But again, there's going to be an adaptation and there's they're going to eventually have a ton of symptoms. So I would normally say, "All right, look, you're going to wake up and we're going to eat 100 to 200 calories and maybe I mean you almost need to give them baby food." or really well cooked food that they can tolerate and then start the eating process and they've got to start giving their body better signals because this is when you know people are like well I'm just intuitively eating and my body's saying I don't want anything but I'm like okay well you've lost touch with what your body needs at this point in time like you've been cut off right. so now we've got to override that and so we've got to get your body to learn to start using more calories because if we start giving to it, finally the body like oh my god you're finally giving me calories it'll start using it and eventually over time their appetite will come back but usually it's like kind of a slow and steady process of slowly incorporating a little bit more calories maybe each week until finally they start feeling like oh i can eat there's nothing that bothers jenna more than people who post on social media saying like a day in my life intuitively eating and jenna's like you're using that so wrong i think there's a space for it i think it can be a great thing for people who you know really understand what it's like to feel what their body is connecting to or what food that they truly want but like you were saying so many of us are stressed so many of us have lost that intuition of what foods we actually need plus talking to the audience you read Kate's book how to heal your metabolism you understand that like the body thrives off of foods that are really nourishing and contain minerals and nutrients and not necessarily foods that you might intuitively be attracted to such as like a bag of chips which again there's a place for all of that right um but yeah it's interesting because talking about stress i don't think Jill and i said this on a podcast recently we don't think people realize one maybe how stressed they actually are but two how much stress impacts their health such as their metabolism and their digestion and Are there certain foods or practices that you recommend for people who are under this insane amount of stress? AK, most of the people probably listening to this podcast right mm-hmm. now. Um, I mean, it's a great question because there's probably a lot of different things you can do. And yeah. <clears throat> and we're in a very weird world where I think that we are just surrounded by it all the time. constantly especially i mean i hate in the younger populations that are on social media a lot i mean i was lucky i didn't grow up with all that so i didn't have it in my life i have it in my life now obviously but it's also complacent in a, a massive additional stressor on someone right just just sitting and pinging and looking at 8 million lives in a minute 
right? What, you, what your brain is constantly doing. And that's just triggering your nervous system all the time. So, and when I, when I say something like stress, because that can mean to me a lot of different things, but what I'm essentially saying is anytime the demands on your body are more than you have available energy to, to support that, it's going to elicit a stress response. And it doesn't matter where that stress is coming from, externally, internally, poor diet, job stress, social media, relation stress, bad weather. I mean, you can come, get it from numerous different areas. But if the demands that you're putting on yourself, your body can't manage it, stress, right? And it's going to be the same biological response no matter where it's coming from. And then your body will try to adapt. Your body is amazing that way, that we have these adaptive pathways that keep us alive. But they come at a cost if you stay in them too long. And that's when, again, we, ha we have these, all these adaptive things that start happening to us. And we will downregulate ourselves and our systems to keep up with all the stressors that we're putting upon them. So usually when I would work with someone, I would look at, okay, what is your life looking like? Tell me about your day. You know, and they'll be like, oh, well, you know, I work seven hours and then I've, you know, spin around on social media for an hour and a half. And I go, well, you go outside. Well, not anymore. Right. I work at home. And so I'm like, okay, let's change a few things here. Right. Let's like, let's cut your social media down to 30 minutes. And now let's go out for a walk and right, get out into some sun, getting away from some of these things. I mean, I can't tell you how many people that I can get to actually get off social media. You know, I think it's, it's good and bad, but how much better they feel when they're not on there. At least, you know, they kind of restrict themselves. So we try to put some boundaries yeah. on that kind of stuff. And, you know, go out, listen to your, your, your favorite podcast while you're outside walking and enjoying some sunlight. And, and getting away from things. And then, you know, finding ways when you're doing things to, to eat, right? We gotta eat. It's just finding what's the right things to eat because it's super confusing in today's world, right? I mean, it's 85 different people out there giving you 20 million different diets and they all have all these studies showing, look at mine's the best. <laughs> and so it is right. super confusing. And piggybacking off of that, I think that there are some foods out there that have received either really poor attention and don't deserve it or have uh, received a lot of really great attention and maybe shouldn't. So I wanted to just get your thoughts on a few different ones. The first being dairy. Recently, faux milks, what's the word? Alternative milks have become the hero, mm -hmm. right? Like now no one drinks dairy, almond milk, oat milk, everything's great. But I actually recently went back to dairy, uh, high quality, like A2 cows, organic. And I have been able to process it so well, far better than almond and oat milks. So that's a really long-winded way to say what is so great about dairy and what don't people realize about it? I love dairy. I mean, if you read my book, you know I just think it's a massive mm -hmm. superfood. Um, obviously, some people can't tolerate it. And again, and a lot of the reason is because they're stressed, right? You actually produce the lactase enzyme in your small intestine. And under stress, you stop producing it. Or if you haven't consumed dairy for a long time, your body will not produce it. So when people consume it, they bloat, they don't feel good, they mucus, all of these things start happening. So from that understanding, they're like, dairy sucks, it's not good for me. But I'm like, well, is it the dairy or is it your digestive system, right? And so that's mm -hmm. one part of the question. Or is it the quality of the dairy, right? There's certainly a lot of poor quality foods out there, and dairy can be one that might not work as well for you if it's poor quality. It might have additives, preservatives. Maybe it's been pasteurized. I mean, everybody kind of functions a little bit differently. So to me, it's always like, well, if one didn't work for you, let's try a different one, right? If cows didn't work for you, let's try a goat. 
And then it's reintroducing it really slowly into the person because you can readapt to, to consuming and breaking down dairy. And it can be kind of a slow and steady process. But the small intestine and your body can learn to process it again. But you got, you know, you have to remember that dairy is a full and complete food. It has fats, it's got carbs, it's got protein, it's full of minerals. And if you get good quality, right, it doesn't have a ton of additives in there or whatever the million different things that they might have in some of these plant milks you see. And, you know, so when I see that people are advertising, you know, oat milk over a dairy and then you look at there's 85 ingredients coming in that oat milk versus mm -hmm. one in dairy. And then, and then I'm like, well, it's really good advertising, the, whatever they've done. But, but <laughs> yeah. the bottom, you know, I give it to them. Great so marketing. Yeah. Um, but, right. you know, you do have to ask the question, right? I'm like, this is a pure food or this other man-made food that you're telling me is better for me that, you know, I just can't agree with with all these different additives. And, you know, so yeah. you do get in the argument with people like, no other animals consume dairy past being a baby. You know, only humans do. And I'm like, well, my dog does. And lots <laughs> of animals will if you let them have it and they will thrive on it. So it's not that they can't do it. It's just that they're not as smart as humans to be able to do it. And just we can do it. But for, for the human body, it's a really good food. And if you look at some studies, you'll see that people that drink a good amount of dairy have better BMI, better bone density. Of course, there's an array of different studies out there making other uh, conclusions, but you have to take a lot of these with a grain of salt because they're just kind of like question answer kind of studies that create some level of correlation, but certainly doesn't mean that, you know, that they're creating all these negative issues. Yeah, no, I love that. And I think the next ingredient I guess we could talk about is sugar because there's a hundred different sugar alternatives today and I think in a lot of people's minds, they're way better to consume those than actual sugar themselves. So what are your thoughts on sugar? What's best maybe for your metabolic health, if any? Yeah, uh, sugar is a very complex and complicated scenario to explain to people. But first, mm -hmm. let's understand that just sugar is a disaccharide made of fructose and glucose is all it is. And it breaks down in your body to, to, to produce glucose. Um, your body runs on glucose, right? When we understand that, and it actually runs best, right? Right in the beginning, we talked about carbohydrates. Children run really well on carbohydrates. They're really good sugar burners. So you really want to be a good sugar burner because your body, that's like the nutrient that keeps you young. And when you utilize it properly, um, your body will function optimally. That's a, it's a great resource for uh, running at a, a well-running metabolism. Where it gets skewed is it's like, well, what does that mean, right? Sugar can mean many things. Most people mm -hmm. think of like cookies and cakes and chocolate bars. And again, they have sugar in it, but honestly, the majority of those calories probably in those foods are probably fat and they might be in the form of like a vegetable oil or a corn oil or something like that and other ingredients in there. And, the, and because they have that fat carb, fat sugar combo, they're usually easy to overeat. And when you do overeat something, you are going to gain weight. So sugar, because it, makes food taste better it can make foods with it in there easier to overeat which will lead to weight gain and a lot of negative side effects is it the sugar in and of itself creating the problems no it's this excess consumption that is creating the problems sugar in and of itself and, and nobody is getting obesity just by eating white table sugar with none of these other ingredients in there it's just not happening or mm -hmm. eating copious amounts of fruits right and so when i reference sugars i always want them to be combined with nutrition so that means fruits, juice, milk has milk sugar in there, 
all of those are, are better sources because when you are utilizing sugar or carbohydrates as energy, you're also, again, increasing metabolic rate, which means your body's going to need a lot of nutrition because those things go together. Energy and nutrition go together. So when you speed things up and use a lot of resources, you're going to need all the nutrients in there to support that process. And that's why you always want to provide somebody with carbohydrate sugars that have nutrition. Does it mean you can never have cookies or cake? No. It just means that those aren't ideal sources. And if you eat too many of them, you are going to gain weight and you will have all of these negative things that everyone's telling you are going to happen because of sugar. But that's not the entire picture, right? If you don't overconsume carbohydrates or sugar, you won't have any of those negative things. Again, as long as you have the other resources that come along with it. What about... I think cane sugar has kind of gotten the bad rep compared to a lot of the other alternative sugars. Do you feel like cane sugar should be something that we should avoid or do you think it just applies to what you just said? Again, I have to be careful because when people hear this, they're like, I should eat all the white sugar possible, like, right? right? And so, I mean, cane, there's nothing wrong with cane sugar, right? It is void of nutrition. And, but is it a decent source of energy? If we look in the context of energy, yeah, it is. It's actually really easy to digest. It's a low gut irritant and your body can utilize it as a fuel really, really well. The problem is it doesn't have nutrition. So if you have energy without nutrition, you will actually start creating def uh, nutrition deficiencies. And we saw that back in the 1930s, I don't think it was 1930s, with the Burr studies when they actually were studying polyunsaturated fat, but they basically gave a lot of these animals a lot of carbohydrates and they didn't give them enough nutrition and they started to see all these animals have all these issues and so essentially what we realized was that because carbohydrates utilize energy faster and more they actually require more nutrition so if you give give somebody a bunch of white sugar yeah they're going to start having problems because again right. they need the the nutrients along with it but does it mean you can never have it no you can totally use it as long as the rest of the diet is good Gotcha. Okay. Yeah. Cause I think it's so funny now days it's like, Oh, I would never put sugar in my coffee, but I'll put monk fruit or I'll put stevia. And it's kind of like, well, it's all sugar, right? Like as long as you're, as long as you're pairing it with nutrition. Yeah. Well, stevia is more like, obviously it's a calorie free alternative and from a leaf, but sure. uh, the monk fruit is still going to be broken down. I think it's just less sweet or less caloric. You know, and I think because we're so stuck in this space of like, I don't want to eat too many calories and it's all about this calorie thing without understanding right. like, look, your body needs calories to run and it needs energy to run. And sugar is a really good resource if it's combined with enough nutrition and that's why we have the fruits and so forth and that should be a good part of it. But it doesn't mean you can't just use, I do, I put obviously white sugar in my coffee and, but there's mm -hmm. also reasonings for that, right? Coffee in of itself is quite thermogenic. It will actually increase your body's ability to utilize the carbohydrates. So you want to always combine it with some carb sugar and maybe some milk or cream or something else so that it helps. So you're providing that increase of metabolic rate with the energy to kind of speed things up. If you give yourself something like a thermogenic like coffee and you don't provide any energy with it, you are going to elicit a stress response in the system because the body's going to be like, well, you're wanting to speed things up, but you're not giving me anything. You're giving me air, right? You're a calorie-free food. So if you want me to speed things up, 
I need to get it from somewhere. So I'm going to have to get it from you. And fat doesn't really convert into carbohydrates. So I'll just break down some tissue and utilize that to kind of regulate your blood sugar, right? We have to understand that we have something called blood sugar because blood sugar needs to be in it. Right. <laughs> yeah, that's a good yeah. point. Oh, I never thought about it like that. Interesting. You mentioned calories and everyone being so stuck on it. Can you explain to us why it's more important than just calories in, calories out? Not all calories are created equal. I mean, everyone's like calories, calories, calorie. And I'm like, well, not necessarily because you can have 100 calories of protein. And A, we have the thermogenic thermogenics of food. So it takes a lot more energy to break down protein than it would be like a fat or a carbohydrate. So you can have 100 grams or 100 calories of protein and you know 30% of those calories will be utilized to just break that food down, right? Versus much less with carbs or protein. So there's that concept. But the other thought process is like it's it's how well your body's able to convert the calories in that food to energy for the system. And it doesn't just equate and there's a lot of things that can kind of inhibit that process one being digestion, right? You guys talk a lot about gut health because if you are not able to break down this food and then absorb the nutrition and the energy, then you're not getting what you think you're getting from that food, right? You're getting much less. Mm -hmm. And so, and then you've got to carry it through the blood sugar. So if you have blood sugar issues per se, and you have high blood sugar when you have carbohydrates, well, again, those calories aren't working the same in your system as they would somebody that can manage its carbohydrates well. Then again, at the cell, if you don't have the right nutrition and the right things to help that that energy convert, again, you're going to have a backup in the system. Or if you have other factors, if you have poor gut health and you have endotoxemia, if you talk about endotoxins, which are like toxins that some of the bacteria release and they release them from the blood system, those in themselves will inhibit the body's ability to, to convert that energy into, I'm sorry, that food into energy. So... There's a lot of different things that can go astray from you to convert your 1,600 calories into the 1,600 calories of energy that your system can actually utilize. And we can't use directly the food. We have to break it down. We have to digest it. We have to absorb it. We have to transport it. Then we have a certain amount of hormones that are going on. Then we have to put it into the cell, and then the cell has to use it effectively to produce that energy. And so... That's why nobody talks about all the other processes. It gets kind of complicated and confusing and so forth. But if we just look at calories in, calories out, we might be missing a lot of things. Because And because, again, if, we're, if our system is under-functioning and you're finding like, well, if I eat any more than 1,600 calories, I gain weight. But maybe your body actually needs 2,000 calories to run effectively. And it's like, well, what's happening? Like, And how do we get it? to fix that self and, and you can, but it could be like a slow and steady process for you to go from A to Z and so that your body can start again, learning to adapt in the other direction so that it learns to use more calories versus when you're dieting, when it learns to use less calories. Yeah, that makes a ton of sense. I, I have never heard it really explained that way before. Yeah. Everyone who's listening to this episode, most of you are going to be like, okay, I want to work on my metabolism health a little bit. Like I want to make sure that it's optimized and running well. Where do people start? I always tell people, hey, go read my book. But two, a good place to start is to figure out what you're doing right now, right? So probably food logging is pretty helpful, like going into an app like Chronometer and like logging out what you're doing and then taking your temperature and pulse. So one way, an easy way to decipher like how well your body's running is just get a thermometer, 
stick it in your mouth when you wake up, record it. What are you like 97, 96, right? When I started, I was like 96.5 when I, cause I was an athlete I was super fit and I was super cold. Um, and so kind of, you got to find out what your starting point is. You know, wh what are you running at? What's your temperature? What's your pulse rate? You might record things like digestion. You know, I'm not going every third day and my sleep and kind of monitoring kind of what your system is doing. And then it's, moving from there. So it might be just adding some more carbohydrates into your diet. Let's say you're eating 50, which some people are. Maybe it's adding, trying, adding another 25 gram of carbohydrates in or another 50 and, and slowly incorporating more of these carbohydrates and some of the proteins I suggest in the book. And again, one thing you should know about carbs we probably should touch on, right? It's best to not eat them alone. Um, and solely from a blood sugar perspective, that it's always good to provide some level of protein with those carbs to kind of slow down the process of them getting into your blood. And in today's world where everybody's walking around with a continuous glucose monitor on their arm and they're checking how their body's being affected, which I think is going to create a whole new set of eating disorders. But ultimately, you know, <clears throat> you're going to have a blood sugar increase when you eat carbohydrate and that's completely normal. Um, obviously, if you're getting super high spikes, and then you need to kind of assess why that might be happening. And a lot of it is if you've been on a low-carb diet, you actually become slightly insulin resistant. So when you introduce them back in, you do not respond appropriately. But if it's just because you were on a low-carb diet, that can be corrected. Um, you know, for a lot of people, I like don't use a CGM because it starts to mess with your head unless you already have some sort of metabolic issue or diabetes or so forth where you kind of have to really right. gauge that. But it, it is just kind of incorporating, you know, like a few things in and trying them out and then kind of assessing and then kind of slowly moving through the process. That's one thing I am working on in a second book, which I'm trying to incorporate like some like, how do you get started? What do you do if this happens? What do you do if this happens? Because those are the questions that have kind of come up since the, the first book where I just kind of talked about the right. food and why you should use it and kind of a process. So since then, a lot of questions have come up to kind of give them a, a little bit more guidelines on them. And so that's what the, the new book will, will be about. Cool. And also what you've mentioned multiple times is the chronic stress. And I know you have aspects of that in your book, uh, I believe near the end of like, okay, we're talking so much about food and how your metabolism works, but also like the daily practices of making sure you're getting sleep, making sure you're getting outside. You're so right. I mean, Jill and I, we say like our part of our job is being on social media, but I take it to the next level and I like do my research, aka I look at social media. I absolutely know that that impacts how I feel on a day-to-day -day basis. And people are probably tired of me saying that it's my daily reminder, but it is a good reminder that social media is essentially taking over our lives. And I think it's really important to scale that back. I love your book and I do believe a lot of people should go out and read it. There are basic principles that you can start applying, such as seeing if you can have dairy, eat enough carbs, right? Like the carb thing is so interesting because a lot of women believe that we should be lower carb, right? Like, so we don't have the like belly pooch. And so we do lose weight. We look toned and things like that. But as you're saying, there's so much more to it than not eating or eating carbs, if that makes sense. Yeah. Well, and you have to understand that when you're under chronic stress, you will learn to not tolerate carbohydrates as well. So that's one of the things mm -hmm. that does happen. 
So if somebody has gone through that and is under chronic stress or has gone low carb and then tries to reintroduce a bunch of carbohydrates at one time, they will not respond well. And that's why you kind of have to assess like where you're at and then you have to kind of move very slow and steady through the process. But right. one of the things that will really inhibit someone from utilizing carbohydrates properly is really bad gut health. And if you have poor gut health, then again, and you have like SIBO or bacterial overgrowth or any of these things going on, those same bacteria can start releasing toxins into your system. And if those get through into your blood system, that process alone is going to inhibit how well you tolerate carbohydrates. And so for some people, it's like, hey, maybe you need to work on your gut health first. What does that look like? And a lot of people go low carb because they have poor gut health, right? Keto and carnivore, they're all because they don't have good gut health. And so it's like, okay, we'll address that, but maybe it's slowly incorporating a little bit of carbohydrates with enough protein through the day, with enough fats, and, and see how well your body's tolerating. At the same time, looking at your life and going, what can I add that's going to help my life feel better, whether it's maybe I need to get outside and exercise and focus on my sleep and get off social media at, at eight o'clock and not constantly be triggering myself all the time. And then, you know, and doing those things, because that will help kind of downregulate the stress system so that your body can tolerate things better. So you got to kind of look at both aisles to see kind of what your body needs and not, not be in a hurry to go through this process because you certainly can make it worse if you kind of don't know that that can happen during the process and, and it does. Right. And, and so you just kind of have to know to kind of pull it back a little bit and go at a slow and steady pace. Mm, I love I, that. I think the great part about this episode is there's so many tangible things people can take away and there are things that you can't control, but there's also a lot you've mentioned today that you can control. And Jen and I always say like control the controllables. Like there are going to be things in your life that you have no control over, but you can control how much you're on social media. To a certain extent, you can pick the foods that you're eating and, and how you combine them, right? Um, you can decide how long you're active for every day, making sure you get outside every day. Like Those things are so easy and you're hearing it here that it, it does impact you. So I'm excited for people to be able to take this episode and apply so. these things and I understood it really well, which I think is a really great yes. marker. So thank <laughs> you for making it digestible. We really appreciate you coming on. Jenna talks about your book. It's like her metabolism Bible, I would say. Like that place has been to many states. It travels with her oftentimes. So I got it on Kindle. And I yeah. just think the con thank you. I just think the concepts are so good and 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 breaking it down and not like it's not overly complicated. And I think that is what is so important these days is scaling back. Like everyone's trying to do too much. It's like me trying to intermittent fast for no reason, right? And it's like, I know that was kind of a bit of the theme, but taking a step back, I think is what you preach in the sense of let's keep it simple, like dairy, quality carbs, like sugar still, like people think they need to completely cut out sugar. You don't have to. Quality protein sources. So one way to find you is reading your book, um, How to Heal Your Metabolism. Another, I know you're on social media. Will you tell everyone where to reach you? They can reach me on Instagram or Facebook uh, at Kate Deering Fitness. Cool. And I also, or you can go to my website at katedeering.com. Amazing. Thank you, Thank you so, so much, much for coming on. Yeah, Thanks, ladies. Thank you.